Welcome everyone to our BJJ podcast for the month of October. I am Andrew Duckworth and a warm welcome from your team here at the Bone and Joint Journal. As always, we would like to start by thanking all of you for your continued comments and support, as well as a big thanks to our many authors and colleagues who've taken part so far this year. We hope that you're continuing to enjoy our podcasts and all our knowledge translation work delivered so far. Uh, this has included focusing on papers published each month here at the BJJ, as well as our special edition podcast series. The first of these is the insights from the US uh, with our first podcast, a great discussion with Pre- Professor Heather Vallier focusing on trauma. And last month, we talked to the excellent Dr. Matt Abdul from the Mayo Clinic. Our other special edition series has been with our invaluable specialty editors here at the journal, which we hope is giving you an insight into all the vital work they do here, as well as providing an overview of the literature in their area. So moving on to our paper for this month, firstly, I have the pleasure of welcoming back uh, and being joined again by our Editor-in-Chief at the BJJ, Professor Farah Sadar. Prof, it's great to have you with us today. Thanks, Andrew. Great to be with you. Joining Prof and I today are the authors of an excellent study that's been published in the October edition of the BJJ and is entitled Implant Brand Portfolios, the Potential for Camouflage of Data and the Role of the Orthopedic Data Evaluation Panel in Total Knee Arthroplasty. So firstly, I'd like to introduce Mr. John Phillips, who is a consultant orthopedic surgeon at the XME Reconstruction Unit and a member of the ODEP group. Welcome, John. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you for the invite. And joining John is his co-author on the paper, Mr. Keith Tucker, who is the chair of the Orthopedic Data Evaluation Panel and Beyond Compliance Advisory Group. Thanks so much for joining us, Keith. It's also great to have you with us today. Thank you. So... John and Keith, as you state in your paper, uh, we all know that you know knee replacement is a highly effective treatment for arthritis and a, a range of other disorders around the knee. And there is a wide range of implant brands and joint replacements available. And sort of related to this, uh, and potentially some prominent and publicized failures of implants in the past, joint replacement surgery we know, and quite rightly, is highly regulated in the UK through a national registry. You also comment that the options available within many brand port- portfolios has grown exponentially over the uh, particularly over the past few years and so sort of drawing all that together the aim of your study was to investigate the effect of the expansion of implant brand portfolios and where there may be a potential lack of transparency around a brand name and you also aim to establish the potential numbers of compatible impact construct combinations that exist so Keith if I could start with you as an introduction to the study can you give our, our <laughs> listeners a, a brief overview of the role of the NJR and how this con- con- compares with ODEP to, ODEP in this context uh, and also a bit about ODEP ratings and assessment. Oh, thank you. Okay, well, ODEP and the NGR was set up around about 2002. In fact, we're next year's our 20th birthday, I think. Mm. And that was in the wake of the 3M capital hit problems. Now, a registry, as it turned out to be NGR, was something we'd all, many of us had been asking for, for for years. And we was delighted it was going to come. But it was never going to be a quick fix. So that's why ODEP was created by NICE with a requirement that manufacturers of hip implants should submit data to support the use of their implants. Uh, In fact, at that time, there was very little data around except for the Scandinavian registry data. There was no registry data that, as we know today. And NICE, they, they, they started off by telling us that we should have two ratings, 10 rating for products with data for 10 years, and a three rating for for new products. And anyhow, we grappled with this, but immediately realized we've evolved, we've evolved, we've evolved. Mm. Um, We we realized that this was never going to work, was never going to be adequate. And so we introduced the five and seven year benchmarks. And also the concept that once 
an implant was enrolled in involved it was enrolled in the process manufacturers had to keep climbing up through the benchmarks as time went by mm. so nothing could be stationary mm. and we've now got benchmarks at 13 and 15 years that was for hips nice said that there was no demand for odep for knees there hadn't been any complaints nothing like a disaster to get things going i might add <laughs> But in 2012, BAS came to us, the British Association of Surgery for Knee, to initiate ODEP for Knees. And then Shoulders came along in 2017, and we're now moving ahead with spine, ankle, wrist, and hand. Um, the one thing I think we do like, we, I think it's reasonable for us to claim, is that we have, made, we have encouraged, strongly encouraged manufacturers to look at data about their implants. And by default, it is now difficult for manufacturers to market their implants, certainly in this country, without, a, without an ODEP rating. Mm. At the beginning, as I say, we used, to, we used data from anywhere we could get it, uh, and that was often Scandinavian registries. And we continue to use data from all around the world for ODEP benchmarks. And um, I should add that our, our ODEP ratings are actually used all around the world as well. Mm. Yeah, and um, we do that with, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, it, we're all unpaid, and we're proud of our independence. So that was a little bit about ODEP. With regard to the NJR, as I say, it was realized that a, registrar, a, a registry was an investment for the longer term. And nowadays, of course, the NJR has a wide has wide-ranging responsibilities for monitoring uh, surgeons, hospitals, implants, and, and on top of that, all the research that, they, that goes along with it. And, but it, it mustn't be forgotten, just one thing, that the original remit for the NJR was to keep records of patients with implants so that if there was ever a problem, we could go back. With 3M, we didn't know who had got the darn things. And so it was actually difficult to get, back to, get them back to the clinics. And when we had the metal-on-metal metal problem, NGR was very quick at getting getting patients identified and back to their hospitals for checkup. Mm. So now we've got the National Joint Registry in our country. It's the largest registry in the world and almost certainly the one most quoted and used, certainly by manufacturers because we have the, they have supplier feedback. And we've I think we are fantastically lucky to have this 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 registry. But, but what we've got is big data, mm -hmm. big, big data. And I think we've now realized that there is the potential for camouflage within big data. And that's what we're trying to address. Thank you. That's great, Keith. And what a fantastic overview of how ODEP has sort of evolved over time and, and how it have developed in the first place. And I think, John, that sort of brings us very nicely on to sort of, you know, in your introduction study, you describe about the vast range of options that, that can now exist within a certain brand. So can you, for our listeners, sort of maybe expand on that and what potential issues that can give us with regards to what Keith's been saying about ODEP and NJR? Yeah, no, thanks. Great introduction there, Keith. The I think one of the main points I just wanted to add to Keith was that when hips were introduced, when ODEP for hips was introduced, it was introduced as a femoral component and an acetabular component and each got a rating. When knees were introduced for ODEP and a construct was, was brought together, so it was felt that a, a tibial base plate couldn't receive a, 
a single rating and say in the same way as a femoral component couldn't receive rating. So, so they were all lumped together, but it was lumped together at a very granular, granular level. So you had to have a certain base plate with a certain patella and a certain uh, femoral component with a certain insert. So if you, if you basically consider a basic knee replacement system, you have a base plate, you have, a, you have a, a femoral component, which is probably going to be either in posterior stabilized or cruciate retaining, a PS or a CR, and then the corresponding inserts, and then it's with or without a patella. So basically, you end up with almost like a grid of four different options. Hmm. So that would be a very basic system, but, but if only life were that simple, because as you probably, as everybody knows who's performed knee replacement surgery, there are different variants available within certain brands. And, and just to sort of expand on that, the, the options potentially available, you can have uncemented versions, you can have a modular tibial base plate with a, you can take a stem, you can have a monoblock mm. where the insert is actually attached to the base plate, you can have an uncemented version, you could have an allergy type, you know, an alternative bearing, you could have a mobile bearing base plate, you can have a fixed bearing base plate, you can have, again, a different material, cobalt, chrome, titanium, and you can have different shaped keels. And, and so... So therefore, I've just sort of listed eight potential different base plates that you could have, all of which are pretty much compatible with the other systems. And then when you consider you could have equal number of dis- different types of femoral components, inserts, different makes, different materials, different shapes, sizes. So therefore, that, that led us to sort of come up with this idea that, you know, how many potential combinations could you have within a system? Yeah, that, that's great. And I think that, that, that leads us very nicely into the paper in terms of what you discussed there. The number of combinations is just, we all know about it, but it's actually just mind boggling when you put that all together, which we'll come on to in your paper. But just before we do, Prof, if I could come to you, what are you, your thoughts on these potential issues? You know, it, it, before we, this paper has been published in the journal, but, you know, and, and, and maybe how we've maybe how we've dealt with these or not dealt with these in the past. Uh, thanks, Andrew. I think this is a great paper because it articulates something we've been thinking about, worrying about, and talking about in the journal for a long time. And uh, you know, as you know, we've been pushing extremely hard for registries to clean up and improve their reporting. You know, we recognise the immense value of these registries. But you know, as, as early as 2013, 2014, we put out a couple of editorial, one on you know the the trouble as well as the benefit of big data and another on how it should be interpreted with Dan Perry, Matt Costa, Nick mm-hmm. Parsons. Uh, and that, you know, that brought out lumping and, and all those issues related to that. And I, and I think this is just another reminder that we can generate hypotheses from big data, but then we need to take a step back and drill down. It's not to do down or denigrate big data. Big data is really important. It's an important part of what we do. And for any question in orthopedics, there's a number of ways of looking at it, and we've always got to choose the best one. So I think whenever we're looking at these things, it's it's very, very important that we bear in mind that the devil is going to be in the detail. So I think really welcome this sort of concept of camouflage now being in the public eye and, and the great work this paper's done from that perspective, because it'll put the focus on the, these bigger data sets moving forward, whether they're registries or quite frankly, some of the coding databases, which will suffer from the same problems. 
Absolutely, Prof. Absolutely. So, John, if we come on onto that, so that sort of leads in nicely, sort of the sort of looking at the methods and the results of how you did this. And um, you know, your methods for the study were based around creating hypothetical implant brands and the impact in, and the impact of implant variants within these brands. So, can you give us just a very brief overview of how your your assessment of this was performed to answer the, the study aims, and then we'll move on to what you actually found. I mean, to keep it really simple, it's it's very obvious why you why we used hypothetical brands. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, we just did the maths and put things together and very simply worked out what happens if you add a second femoral component and add a second tibial component. And then and, and very simply just did the maths to it and then, and then just got somebody cleverer than me to check my maths. <laughs> Unfortunately, the math was OK, but, um, but no, that's, that was the main, you know, keeping, we kept it very simple. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, that, like you say, the, the study isn't not evaluating any specific implant or implant brand data. It's just hypothetical, like you say. So in your, your because your study sort of highlights that there are sort of 30 commonly used mainstream brands of, of knee replacement in the UK. And 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 the NGA report, report sort of further subdivides these major brand names into about 49 groups for analysis. And you break the results down to sort of demonstrate the effect of addition of alternative implant options within a brand, a hypothetical brand portfolio. So, John, if we sort of take the first example, that looks at CR and PS options. What does that, that sort of break down into? Well, simply that breaks out into that simple grid of you have a CR and a PS option with or without a patella. And mm. the tibia is the same for each of them. So you end up with four different options in a very, very simple brand. So, so therefore, if you have 30 brands, then potentially you've got four different options with each brand. Yeah. That's if it was kept very simple. Yeah. And if you sort of, because that, and that's the sort of starting point, isn't it? But then if you, when you move on to your next examples, you look to the addition of sort of one to three um, various additional options. And, and so what effect did that sort of have in terms of the numbers? Yeah. So that, that's where it all started becoming interesting. And, and basically for every additional, so for every second tibia option, maybe you had a, a modular tibia, then, then that would have the effect of doubling the number of options. So you go from four to eight. And then you had a second second type of insert, maybe a cross-linked poly. Mm. That again doubles it. A second femur. So that takes you to to, to 16. And then you had a another femur. And um, and then basically you end up with 32 different options. So mm. basically every time you add a second option with or without a patella, you end up doubling it to 32. Yeah. And then by the time you start um, adding a third option, it doesn't double it, and actually the numbers slightly decrease. You have a third femoral component. It, you add it by sort of one and a half, and then it then it goes down to one point three if you have a fourth different option. Mm. But again, that takes us into the you know the, the the situation where you could by having three different femurs, you end, and and two different femurs and tellers and and inserts, you end up with 42, 40, so 48 different options. Mm. Then the interesting bit is what happens when you add in the uncemented options, because uncemented options really make the thing, the numbers go crazy, because you have the option then of hybridizing them all. So you could have an uncemented femur with a cemented with a cemented femur. And so, so basically, if you have your, your standard hypothetical group of four, and then you add in uncemented options, you quadruple the numbers. <clears throat> So you go from four to 16 different variant options with uncemented, with all the variant options. So if you have your numbers where you have two different versions of everything and then you add an uncemented option, you go to 128 different compatible variants. And if you add an uncemented patella onto that, then you go to 192 different options and it, and it gets crazier and crazier. And we, we in our paper, 
we put together a hypothetical brand with essentially three different options in each of them. And, and we came up with 750 compatible brands. And, and, and on the back of my fag packets, I did some work yesterday and I worked out that if I think if you use, if you have six, because there are some brands out there with six different tibias, six different femurs, six different patellas, and, and there are over 10,000 different compatible options that a surgeon could potentially use. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, the numbers become quite staggering and, and, and quite interesting. I completely agree. I mean, that's what struck me when I read this. You know, just even if you look at the, the, the table five in your paper, just, you know, you know, going down the femoral components, table component, inserts and patella are not that many options when you think about it in a great deal of thing, but then you're ending up with a, a total number of compatible construct combinations, 768. It's, it's something you, 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 you think you probably should know, but it's, it's actually seeing that number in print is quite, is quite remarkable. And so that's what sort of, you know, from that though, what do you feel are, I suppose, you know, the strengths of the study without question and what it raises in, in terms of implications and questions moving forward. What do you feel, though, are the sort of key take-home messages with that and maybe any caveats that go with it? So, so my, my key take-home messages are that surgeons should hopefully be aware now that there are multiple different variations within a brand that, that has been labelled a good brand, potentially, but there are multiple different variations. So if you start using more niche options within a brand surgeons must be aware that there may not be data available to support the use of that particular construct and then also surgeons should also be aware that that through this sort of big data set a lot of these niche combinations may well be camouflaged and their results may be camouflaged within the larger data sets within a within a brand. So, so there may be a slightly odd combination of now what we do know through through working with ODEP and through looking at the NGR is that not all knees are the same, and actually not all hips are the same, and not all implants are the same. So some implants may be performing better than others, and some implants may be performing worse than others. But if you perform a niche implant which hasn't got many numbers, you won't know the results. And they might have terrible results. You, we never know whether a certain niche combination that maybe has only been performed four times ever, that all four of them have failed. We just mm. don't know that. But, but in those four, within the 10,000 in the d- bigger data set in, in the NGR, mm. those results will be camouflaged. So what we've highlighted is that there's this potential for camouflage within, within data. So the only way really I feel as though surgeons potentially can protect themselves is by referring to ODEP. So mm. ODEP independently analyzes certain constructs which, which have been collected together. And there are many, many on the ODEP uh, website and freely available. And then your surgeon can check that a certain implant with the femur they prefer to use and the patella that they like to use and the insert and the tibia have got independent verification at five, seven, 10, 15 years. Mm. And, and, and I guess those are my sort of messages that you know, just make surgeons open their eyes to the implants they're using. No, absolutely. I think that sort of brings us nicely back back to yourself, Keith. So, you know, what do you feel the implications are, building on that from John, uh, for both bodies like ODEP and how surgeons sort of interpret those ratings? Well, I completely support everything that, to, to, that John's just said. And I'd just like to add at this stage, yes, this is a hypothetical study, but as chairman of ODEP, I can tell you that it fits pretty smartly with 
a lot of the needs that we look at, particularly with the big manufacturers, there's there's one manufacturer that's got knee constructs in ODEP. They've got 50 of them. We, we, when we're doing ODEP meetings, I mean, we, we will go through a very large number of constructs from, you know, just, just one manufacturer. Mm. We also know, we also know that there are some constructs being used which do not have an ODEP rating. We've done the drill down. We know that that's the case. We're not quite sure how, you know, um, how many there are of those. So when you say, what about the surgeons? Well, I think that, that surgeons must make sure, just as John said, that the construct they're using, they should be aware of the data that's about, about it. And ODEP um, is, is somewhere they can look. Mm-hmm. And you said, uh, Andrew, that, you know, about the question of small series. And, and John was just referring to, to you know, maybe, maybe one construct has only been used four or five times. And then if the statisticians will say, well, that's not statistically significant. You can't draw any conclusions from that. Well, I disagree to a degree um, because if, if a surgeon finds that only very lim- very limited number of a particular cons- construct have been used, four or five, isn't that a message in its own right? Mm. You know, you've got a question. If you're going to do something which has only been used four or five times, by definition, there isn't a lot of data to support its ongoing use. And I think, yes, small series have their major disadvantages, but I still think there's a message from a small series. Yeah, absolutely. I think that raises a very a very important point, actually, not to disregard. Like you say, if there are only, only four have been done, it raises a question themselves. The surgeons sort of, I suppose, Prof, that brings me back to you, you know, in terms of your thoughts on the implications of this work for both surgeons and registries and you know asking the same question i've asked uh, keith there as well but how you sort of think we move forward really in terms of you know not only our implant regulation but also you know you know management of innovation you know we do want to push things forward but how we sort of do that safely and and, and use big data to do that in the best way we can a couple of things andrew i think there's some great messages here i think the other caveat to put in here is that beyond the implant constructs you've got here you've also got different alignment philosophies different alignment results because the what you end up with may not be what you aim to end up with and then different enhanced technologies there's all sorts of other variables that are brought in so when you're really analyzing this stuff you've got to drill into the detail and that's got big relevance you know we've had some reports in the journal this year, for example, of an implant where, which had a high failure rate in certain hands, but the defense is it does well in the registry. Now, if you follow that a little bit further forward, it may well mean there's a certain construct done in a certain way. The implant manufacturers change that tray. So there must be a signal there that's been noticed internally, and yet there are patients walking around with that tibial tray. So there are, for our profession, there are implications how we react to that and what we do, and we can't just hide behind that registry data. But moving forward, this is a really important thing in terms of when surgeons are going to change practice, they need to take a step back and consider, do I know how well I'm doing with my current construct? Can I? Do I have my own data? Do I have my own outcomes? And how do those correspond with the outcomes out there, both in the registries, but also in the peer-reviewed literature? And then if I'm going to change, how am I going to measure my own outcome, and if my numbers aren't going to be big enough, where am I going to get that external data? Because the overall registry curve is not really going to give them all the data they need. And that's a really key message from John and Keith that everybody needs to take away. This whole concept of 
camouflage means we need to break down into exactly what people are going to do. And you know, and this is this is what RCTs do beautifully. So we're going to go back from looking at big data for one valuable end of the scale, but actually looking at small mechanistic studies as a way of comparing A versus B, still being a very valuable part of what we do in orthopedics. So really, I think the full gamut of methodology is going to be needed. Yeah. No, absolutely, Prof. I completely agree. And I think that's what's so great about this paper. Like you say, as we say, we've said already, it's based on hypothetical combinations, but uh, you know, probably very real in many ways, but raises some really interesting questions for us moving forward, not only as the individual surgeon, but us interpreting the data as a community as well. Well, everyone, I'm afraid that's all we have time for today, but thank you so much to you all for taking time to join us. And congratulations, John and Keith, and a really excellent study that and without doubt is an invaluable addition to the literature. And I'm sure will lead to much thought and discussion and debate uh, amongst our listeners and readers. And to our listeners, we do hope you've enjoyed joining us and we encourage you to share your thoughts and comments through social media and alike. Feel free to post or tweet about anything we've discussed here today. And thanks again for joining us.